Welcome to Opening Stage VGH, the video game history podcast for everyone. I'm your host, Dean Beaver, and I'm once again joined by my lovely wife, Meredith Lyons. Hello. We have another guest, a special guest, friend of the podcast in the studio today, <laughs> the incomparable Chris Pennant. Chris, welcome. Thanks again. I'm sure there's other people that could be compared to me, but <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> I think we can call you. I mean, this is your third time on the podcast. I think we can call you friend of the podcast at this point. Yeah, that's a, that's I, a title you've heard. Now, when when you say it like that, that's true. I feel like um, I feel like Steve Martin and SNL. <laughs> yeah, you're like you've reached that echelon. If, if I'm Steve Martin echelon, that's pretty solid. <laughs> at least yeah. as far as opening stage VGH is concerned. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like all six of our listeners. I hey. actually, I actually met a listener. I was up in Chicago last month for a uh, for a wedding, and a buddy of mine, not a friend of the podcast just yet. He's not up to three yet. So, uh, recurring correspondent Joseph Ramsky. Uh, he was getting married, and I ran into a friend of his who said that he's actually listened to Joe's episode. So I was like. I've never met anybody who listens to the podcast. <laughs> How do you like it? He's like, you're doing great, man. So, and that was awesome. pretty much it. But that's all, uh, you know, that's when you're doing a podcast and you don't have uh, ridiculous sponsors, that's really what you need sometimes. Just somebody saying, you're doing a good job. Yep. <laughs> and Casper Mattress isn't really a thing anymore. So, wait, for real? <laughs> Uh, well, it is and isn't. Like, I, I went down this YouTube rabbit hole, and they were like, Casper, they were doing really well. Uh, you couldn't listen to a podcast without their uh, a commercial with them. And apparently, like, Target was looking to buy the company for, like, a few billion dollars at one point. Mm -hmm. But one thing that, that Casper didn't really realize is that people don't buy beds every year. And so, you know... They, yeah, you buy one, like, every couple decades. Yeah. And so, like, they weren't planning on the retaining a customer base because, you know, you get a bed and you use it for, like, 15 years or whatever, and then that's it. But Some people use it for longer than that. I want to say they did actually get bought by somebody, but it was, like, literally a quarter of what they were priced at beforehand. Anyway. That sounds like a thing that you would think about on the ground floor, you know? Like, how often do... Because don't you, when you're... Maybe I'm, but when you're like looking to sell a product, don't you think, how would I use this product? Like, first of all, and how much would I spend and how much, how would my buying habits be? And then think like, oh yeah, I have had my same bed since college or whatever. I don't know. Maybe I, I, I mean, we don't have uh, Silicon Valley hipster money to like buy a bed every year. Yeah. Well, that's so much waste, though, if you bought a bed every year. I mean, I understand if something had happened and you need a new bed, but yeah. like, and I know that everyone, we should apparently be buying them more frequently than we do, but it's a big purchase and it's, let's be honest, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. I, I was talking to somebody recently about, I think it was sunglasses, and they were talking about the marketing ideas for specific sunglasses or I think we were up on Milwaukee Avenue or somewhere else talking about stores that had opened and closed. But it was basically like people are making these clothes or sunglasses, what have you, more expensive because they think that people are looking for that. They're looking for the price tag on some of the, and some of these some of that is true. Like if you're buying some luxury item, yeah. You kinda want people to know, oh, I spent X amount X thousands of dollars on it but at a certain point you get to things like that and i think people i think maybe companies are considering that same methodology instead of what you said like how often am i am i going to buy this how long do i want to have it for right and how much am i willing to spend on that with sunglasses in particular i don't know about the rest of the world but i tend to wear them outside when i'm running around and mm -hmm. so like if i have a 200 pair of dollar pair of sunglasses and they get scratched, I'm gonna feel a lot different than with the pair that I bought at Kohl's, you yeah. know? That's my, I know, I know growing up, my parents had like the Ray-Bans and my mom had to get prescription sunglasses, but it was like a big deal for her, like to hang on to those sunglasses. Yeah. And me, I'm like, I don't want that stress over sunglasses. <laughs> I've never been the type of person who wants people to think I have money, but mm -hmm. that's never been a thing that I've cared about. Um, and I know that there are people who are like, I'm going to carry this Gucci bag so everyone knows that I'm successful and I can afford Gucci. 
And that's just not been a thing in my brain ever. Like, let me buy this brand so that people know that I have spent this much money. I'm the person who's like, do you like my dress? I got it for $26. <laughs> I mean, I'm weird because that shampoo with me and I don't like flaunt that. I'm, I don't like burst out of the door and just be like, hey guys, look at my tresemme. I kind of use that as like a, a gauge of my quality of life, like personally. Uh, if you I'm can like, buy a good shampoo, but I can see that if you're able to afford healthcare products that you want rather than what is on discount, that mm -hmm. just means you are at a place where you are comfortable. And But that's not something, again, that you go tell people. That's like, yeah. I can afford the shampoo that I like, and this makes me happy as a human. I know that this is what you wanted to discuss in this podcast. That being the case, we do have a, a limited amount of time today. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Chris, you've been on the show before. Uh, you know what the deal is. Oh. Uh, I got this essay that I've written. Just feel free to stop me and ask questions. And hold uh, on, hold on. You're you're out of you're out of school completely. You're in your thirties, and you decided <laughs> to write an essay. I, I I mean I for the longest time I called it a book report, but I was like that would have been oh that would have been so much better. <laughs> that, would, that really would have been so much better. All right. Okay. I was gonna try and change it to change it to essay to sound a little bit more like more collegiate instead of yeah. grade school. Yeah. So, but I'll, I'll I'll continue calling it a book report. Yeah. Okay. I shouldn't I shouldn't make I I shouldn't say that. I just got a book from the library that is a collection of essays. So I take that back. <laughs> okay. Well, whatever it is, I've written it. I'm gonna read it I to think you guys. Book report goes with the playfulness that is video games. Okay, fair, fair point, fair point. So I've got this book report that I've written. I'm gonna uh, feel free to interrupt me while I'm reading it. Uh, that's that's what's gonna drive everything. So, Chris, I know you're a big fan of the specific sport that we're gonna talk about today. So that being said, let's get on into it. Shaquille Rashawn O'Neal was born on March sixth, nineteen seventy-two. I don't want to spoil oh. it, but I know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Pisces. Wait, wait for it. <laughs> Born on March 6th, 1972 in Newark, New Jersey to Lucille O'Neal and Joe Tony. Wow, what so a name, Lucille O'Neal. True. I wonder if... She must I'm have been like, she's like, maybe, yeah, I'll marry you. Lucille O'Neal sounds yeah. good. Well, <laughs> uh, Tony, who struggled with drug addiction, was imprisoned for drug possession and was absent for most of O'Neal's infancy. Mm -hmm. Upon his release, he showed no interest in establishing a relationship with young Shaquille and relinquished parental rights to his now stepfather, Philip Harrison. O'Neal began playing basketball at an early age. He credits the Boys and Girls Club of America for giving him a safe place to play and keeping him off the streets. Coming from a tall family, he was already six foot six by the time he was 13. Damn! Almost seemed built for the sport. His family could have played, could have played volleyball or. Yeah, I'm sure he did. There was, I didn't, I don't go into it, but I think there was a reality show where uh, Shaq would try to play. A bunch oh of my God. Sports. Are you talking about Shaq versus Shaq? I versus think so. Was the best show on summer television the year it aired. It was, it was awesome. He had a home run derby with contest with Albert Pujols and awesome. oh my God, Shaq versus was super, was super dope. Need to find out what that's on nowadays. Maybe watch a few episodes. His family moved very frequently as his stepfather was a career army sergeant. After spending a few years in Germany, O'Neill settled with his family in San Antonio, Texas at age 16. Upon graduating from Robert G. Cole High School, where he led his high school team to a state championship during his senior year and broke two backboards in the process. Damn. He, he tells this story on the episode of Hot Ones that he was on, uh, where he was like, <laughs> uh, the story goes like they broke one backboard like playing when they shouldn't have been. And so they like like they broke it and then they scattered. Uh, and the coach came up to him afterwards and he was like, I know it was you. I know it was you. <laughs> <laughs> and the way he tells it is his coach was like, listen, you can break another one if you get us a state championship. And so he did. <laughs> <laughs> So there's that. I wonder if he knew it was him just because no one else would be able to break the backboard. I mean, yeah, it might be. I, like, I, don't... I, I can't imagine that's an easy thing to do. Like, they're probably made to withstand some, some things. Well, they, they made backboards in a certain way way early on. Like, the ones that we saw when we were kids, they were kind of like trapezoidal or yeah. pentagon shaped. And then they started making the squares and the rims weren't, I think 
they didn't have any give early on. So there's a really famous moment in NBA, and I'm sure people did it like way before this too. But uh, Daryl Dawkins was with the Sixers, and he broke two backboards, and they shattered because that was like what happened back then. It just yeah. like shattered into diamonds. And he, he was like, guys, there were guys who were strong enough to do it. And he's like, I wanted to break his backboard. So I did it. And then he did it again. And so then they were like, well, we got to make and they these won backboards. a state championship. In a different material. <laughs> and so I know that you're going to get to it. But so Shaq shattered his backboard. And then there was a time where he did something similar. Like he was like, I was so mad that I wanted to pull this backboard down. And, and there's a video of him doing one where the apparatus collapses. And everybody runs out because they don't know what's happening. And it was like, whoa. And then there was, I think, a time later that year where he was playing the Nets in New Jersey, where he mm-hmm. grew up. And he was like, one, my family's there. Two, Derek Coleman was on the Nets and he was torching me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to break this backboard. And he like pulls it. And you can see him <laughs> pull it down. <laughs> Damn. I mean, I just know that I would not be able to do that. Yeah. Well, on the size of the backboard, you know. Yeah, don't. I'd don't, have to get some more vertical. Don't understate yourself. Exactly. <laughs> Just need to get some cheeseburgers in you. Uh, <laughs> a few things that I want to throw out uh, before we move on. One, this isn't the game that we're talking about, but uh, breaking the backboard was a really big selling point of I think uh, NBA Jam and NBA Hang Time. Oh uh, yeah. But uh, that's what I remembered growing up is uh, among other things, you can break the backboard. You can cat. You can play so well that the ball catches fire, and you can play as Bill Clinton. All of the yeah, the Bill Clinton hidden character. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So there was that. But uh, also, uh, not to spoil anything, but really, I just touch on. I unfortunately couldn't write everything that I wanted to about Shaq. I only kind of focus on the beginning of his career up to the point that we're going to talk about. But I do mention a few things beyond that. O'Neill studied business at Louisiana State University. LSU! (laughs) Meredith, I doubt you remember this, but like... I think three or four months ago when I was writing this initially, I asked you, hey, do you know anybody famous that went to LSU? And you were like, no. What? (laughs) I didn't actually go around collecting names. I know, but. I mean, I'm sure that there are lots of famous people that went to LSU. It's a very big school. Mm -hmm. I I always do that. If I look up a school, I look up, um, I'm like, who went there? Uh, really i'm always like i was like (laughs) this was me i was like do you have a master's in theater and then i realized that no one gets a master's where they get their undergrad um and also then i realized i got two bachelor's degrees and almost have a minor in latin i'm done with school i don't want to see this anymore and then i left oh yeah there's hella people who went to lsu um james carville went to lsu and Bill Conti that did uh, the Rocky theme went to Oh, yeah. And I, I bet they get hit up with those letters all the time. Probably. Like, Sha- Shaq, don't you want to donate to your school? Like, I'm it sure. Is, he did call it Love Shaq University in a press conference. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh wow. I was in a different sphere. <laughs> LSU okay. stands for Love Shack University. <laughs> oh my God! Did he donate enough money? I bet that they would do it. I, I am sure. I think uh, I, I would have to check this now that salaries have gone up, or if there was an adjustment. But uh, when Bill Simmons wrote the book of basketball, he made sure to put in a sentence that said, "No one made more money playing basketball." So just the contracts and Shack is a very business savvy person. Oh, we'll touch I'm sure on that. that had something to do with his his um, upbringing as well as his studies. <laughs> also, as, <laughs> as Charles Barkley said, he's not a college graduate. I think he only went for three years. Oh, uh, my God. Uh, ac- Charles, actually, Charles we'll Barkley's talk. interview with Conan where he mentioned Shaq is just hilarious. Oh, Charles Barkley is hilarious. He was a funny, funny man. <laughs> he, he's great. And they have this friendship where they just on TV, all they argue all the time. But I think they it play was, off each other so well. I think it was like, I think it was him that was like, you know, Shaq was talking about some kind of training regimen or something. Mm-hmm. And Charles Barkley was just like, man, you're a genetic freak. Like, <laughs> look at you. You're a monster. You don't, you don't get to say anything about this. <laughs> but it was just hilarious. I was looking up a bunch of stuff on YouTube. And so my YouTube search algorithm is, is now like, oh, so you like Shaq now, right? And so 
it gave me this super cut of every time Charles Barkley has made fun of San Antonio. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I, I watched it and it was hilarious. I'll show I'll send that to you guys. But uh, oh, no, I have seen it. I, <laughs> I have I have seen and I will watch it again. But you don't need you don't need to send me something. I know I could probably recite half that video. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Meredith, maybe I'll show that to you later today. <laughs> okay. uh, but, but let's get back into it. O'Neill studied business at Louisiana State University. O'Neill had previously met Tigers coach Dale Brown while abroad in Germany. So playing for the team was a no brainer. While at LSU, Shaq was named College Player of the Year in 1991 by the Associated Press and the United Press International. He left LSU early to pursue a career with the NBA, but continued. That's nice to say. But continued his education during his professional career. He earned his BA in general studies in 2000, fulfilling a promise that he made to his mother. Aww. You hear that a lot. The guys is like, you know, I I wanted to go and get get the money, but they're like, I'm going to finish college. My mom said finish college. Vince Carter did that. He graduated from college during the playoffs. Mm -hmm. And there was a ton of news stories about him flying from Philadelphia or flying from either Toronto to Chapel Hill so that he could walk in his graduation and then playing in this playoff game in Philadelphia the same day where they're like, Vince Carter's selfish. And I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it. But if you tell your mom you're going to walk in graduation, you got to walk in graduation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there get- are, that, I hate when people hate on th- people for that kind of stuff. It's like, there's so many other things you could be hating on. No, hate on. Let's let's hate on someone because he wants to go. He's got the money and he wants to go walk at his college graduation. I mean, while he was doing NBA shit, like, (laughs) oh, let's hate on this person because they're successful and have drive. Like, leave him alone. I remember. I I remember when I was in college. Like, I had a bunch of friends who were not going to walk in graduation because they were like, I I don't want to listen to the uh, speaker drone on about something for. So daydream like you did in class four years. You've been practicing for this shit. Yeah. So I told my mom and dad, I was like, I don't want to, because all of my contrarian friends didn't want to walk. So I went to my mom and dad. I was like, I don't really want to walk in graduation. And my mom was like, listen, we fucking paid for college. (laughs) You're going to walk. So then if memory serves, I walked next to you, Chris. Yes, because we still have that photo. (laughs) Yeah. I walked twice. And, oh, well, look at me. My name is uh, Meredith no, no. Wines. So I got two degrees. <laughs> and listen to this. So I got my theater degree. And then six months later, I got my mass comm degree. And when I got my theater degree, my dad says, well, we don't have to come to this one, right? Because it's not the real degree. Oh. <laughs> it's like, Has you, um, so your dad's not, he hasn't acted. Because acting was the scariest thing that I did in college. And I did a lot of scary things in college. I climbed on top of buildings. <laughs> and I, I also climbed on buildings. Class. It was fun. But but acting in in one one act play was the scariest thing I ever did. <laughs> was that New Faces? Yeah, David, oh. David Alex's thing. And I nice. had that. I had like one monologue, and it was only it was like five minutes long. But I just remember seeing the light on my face, and then seeing ghostly faces in the audience. Yeah, and I was sweating because the light was hot, but I was also like, "Holy fucking shit, I'm gonna forget <laughs> something." <laughs> I feel like I'm trash right now. <laughs> oh, he, I uh, one of my first one of my early plays. I was in a musical called Little Abner, and I was just a chorus person. But one of the girls, one of the main like put him back girls, she got sick, and so they're like, Meredith, you're going to go up today. And I was like, Yay, I know this, and I practiced. And it wasn't a big thing. It was like one line that I had to sing solo, and everything else was with everybody else. And my mom and my sister came to sit in the front row to watch me do my big thing. And I got up to the stage and I got, I walked up to the front, caught sight of them. And I went, I was. Oh, no. And then I went backstage and cried. Oh. Like it was just so obvious that I walked up and like forgot of her, stood there. And while I, because all I could see was my mom and my sister, while I was going, literally, she, she, they, they turned towards each other and started whispering. Oh, God. Oh, God. I literally, I missed the next chorus song that I was in because I was crying backstage. Oh, man. Anyway, fun times. Um, Shaquille O'Neal. Okay. 
Following college, O'Neal was drafted to the Orlando Magic with the first overall draft pick. He was voted Rookie of the Year in 1993 and was the first rookie to be voted an All-Star since Michael Jordan in 1985. While he was a capable defender on the court, averaging 2.3 blocks per game throughout his career, he only made one three-point shot out of 22 attempts throughout his entire professional career, a 4.5% success rate. It was a buzzer beater, though. Oh, it didn't win the game, but it beat the buzzer on the quarter. All right. I take what you can get. During his tenure with the Magic, O'Neal was named to the 1996 United States Olympic basketball team, with, along with such greats as Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, and Scottie Pippen. Simultaneously, the Magic's leadership was changing, and the Orlando Sentinel published the results of two polls. Should the Magic fire head coach Brian Hill if that were one of O'Neal's conditions for returning? And is Shaquille O'Neal worth a contract of $115 million? The results of both polls ended up being no. Oh. O'Neal was teased about this by his Olympic teammates, and the fact that he had a child out of wedlock with his longtime girlfriend didn't necessarily help his 1996 public image. He continued to play with the Magic until free agency when he signed with the Los Angeles Lakers, where he played from 1996 to 2004 and had a widely publicized rivalry with teammate Kobe Bryant. Which, I'm just going to touch on this, the whole child out of wedlock thing. They were long-term boyfriend and girlfriend like it's time by today's standards it would have been fine it would have been fine i mean even even if you can if you consider the landscape in 1996 pretty much everybody who had an opinion about that unless they were in a very specific situation was probably full of can i say full of the the thing yes full of shit yeah Yeah. cool it's been it's been a while I i couldn't remember i couldn't remember the rules and regulations of the podcast they were full of trash yeah absolute garbage Especially no. if they were if they were following a certain impeachment trial, they yeah, were on, they were on bullshit. That oh, did, that right. happened around that same time. It's oh god, it did. I have a I graduated in '96, and I have like a, a time capsule that they would give you. You fill things out. No, oh. and I like wrote on there something that I was so sick of hearing about it. <laughs> 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 that in the OJ trial, I was like done with all this. <laughs> imagine that too during his time playing professionally Shaq had a number of business ventures off the court these include but are not limited to one Shaq perpetuated a music career releasing five studio albums between 1993 and 2001 with his debut album Shaq Diesel going platinum his rapping capabilities have received criticism with one stating that he was quote progressing as a rapper in small steps not leaps and bounds End quote. He Can't be even, good at everything. <laughs> he even collaborated with Aaron Carter on his 2001 hit, That's How I Beat Shaq. I forgot about that. Shaq began DJing during his time at LSU and continues to this day with his music festival carnival circus, Shaq's Funhouse. Oh, I've heard about that. I think Two. Shaq spun it, Coach. Shaq definitely spun it, Lala. Mm-hmm. Definitely spun it, Lala. And he did a gig in the Netherlands. It's on YouTube somewhere. And people are going nuts. Well, he's been doing it for a few years. Probably learned a few things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's how you do. You keep doing it and you improve. Two. Shaq's media personality has afforded him several acting opportunities, including starring in two feature-length films. His most famous, 1996's Kazam, had him portray a 5,000-year-old genie who appears from a boombox to grant a 12-year-old boy three wishes. That is so 90s. The film currently holds a 5% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Oh my god. Boombox. I didn't want to jump ahead if you were going to talk about his other movies. No, the only I'm just going to say he was John Henry Irons in a movie who not to not to branch too deep off into it, Meredith. But uh, there was this thing in the 90s in the Superman comics called The Death of Superman. And fantastic art. What happened was Superman died. We can talk about this a little bit later, but Superman dies and three other Superman-esque, no, four other Superman-esque people like fill the Superman vacuum. And then one of them goes nuts and starts killing a bunch of people. And then the real Superman comes back with a mullet. Yeah, he was was, um, like before, this came out a couple weeks before Spawn and before Blade. So Shaq was like one of the first black superheroes on screen. Well, well, like major 
DC Marvel superheroes because mm-hmm. Meteor Man came out, I think, in 94. But also, one, the kid who he granted the wish to in Kazam was played by Francis Capra, who was Weevil on Veronica Mars. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, that's all I really know about Kazam, other than the fact that the guys on Inside the, Inside the NBA will make fun of him every, every few months about it. But Blue <laughs> Chips that he was in with Nick Nolte and Penny Hardaway. One is a very good movie about college athletics and the money behind it. Mm-hmm. Oh. And uh, two, there's a scene with Bob Cousy uh, that played for the Celtics in the 1950s and early 60s. He plays the athletic director at, uh, I think it's Western University is what it's called. Okay. And he's talking to Nick Nolte, the coach, and they're in the gym. And he's like, you know, you know I want to recruit these guys. Of course I want to recruit these guys, but... I, I, what have, I don't know what we need to do. And Cousy is shooting free throws while he's talking. By this point, Bob Cousy played in the NBA in the 50s and went to college in the 40s. So he's in his 70s, I think. Yeah. And he shoots and doesn't miss. And he shoots 10 free throws and doesn't miss them. And for the just, and there's a point where Nick Nolte ad-libs and is just like, do you ever miss? It like wasn't in the script. And then yeah. just for fun, he shot the last one left-handed. Oh, Jesus. Nice. I think I remember that, like just that clip. Like I've seen just... that one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I still, I obviously still was have that like. I need to do. Was he? Was that like one take? He just kept shooting the. Uh, I I think so. Just because yeah. of the fact that like they they got that like he yeah. was I think you know he's just talking to him and of course they're not thinking oh he's gonna hit all of them right but he's just shooting he was just like yeah let's go in you're gonna be shooting free throws and practicing and I'm talking to you about my uh, philosophical concerns about this college program and you know we're assuming that you're gonna miss one but and he's just thinking free throws like they shouldn't even be floating it's like that in the films like the the basketball scene with Denzel Washington and Ray Allen in uh, he got game was supposed to be ray allen destroying denzel washington one because he's just denzel washington and two because in the movie he hates him he's his father who killed his mom and went to jail but denzel played basketball at fordham so he hit the first two shots on him and then it became a real basketball game and they're watching this like should we stop because they were going at each other oh awesome (laughs) so athletics it never leaves you (laughs) I like it. To kind of put a button on Shaq's acting career, uh, Shaq also appeared in a commercial for Disney during the 2000 Screen Actors Guild strike, for which he was fined for crossing the picket line. <laughs> Thank you. Come on. He's got, you've got your sand card. I didn't know I, that. <laughs> they were uh, serious about that strike, too. Yeah. They, they tried, because I was in... I think I was still in college when it started going on and they went like some people that I was in school with, like were getting called for these auditions and they were like, I don't know if we should take this. And one girl who didn't know anything did. And then later in life, like 10 years later, went to apply for her card and they pulled out the blacklist and she had to go to like SAG court and like explain like <laughs> that she didn't know what she was doing so she was like i don't mess with the union anymore uh, they like she they let her get her card i guess she made a good case or whatever but she was telling she was like yeah i had to go it was like a trial like there was like a judge and everything so they were serious about that strike oh man Shaq has long had an interest in law enforcement and some level of involvement with the various locations in which he's lived, most being honorary deputyships. He took part in a September 2006 raid in Bedford County, Virginia, despite not being qualified as a SWAT officer. And it is also worth mentioning that in June of 2008, two honorary deputyships were revoked from Virginia and Maricopa County, Arizona, when video surfaced of Shaq performing a district track about Kobe Bryant, which involved the use of racial slurs. <laughs> Those racial slurs. <laughs> uh, Shaq, shouldn't be, Shaq shouldn't be taking part in raids. Let me say that first. But yeah. the racial slurs in the song were, were the N-word. And let, let's be honest, that is a very niche word that these two guys can bandy about with each other in private. Uh-huh. So if you hear about it in public, I'm sorry. The worst part about that was that he told Kobe to tell him how my ass tastes. <laughs> Whoa! Because he, won, because he won another championship. Whoa. And that's what they really should have been. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's it. That's all. That's, I keep going. 
okay. All right. Um, that is a good line, though. <laughs> put that in a book somewhere. He's he progressing. Was, that was like 2007. He was just like 10 years ahead of the ass-eating revolution. <laughs> uh, and uh, lastly, uh, before we start wrapping up Shaq's biography, Shaq has had a number of different business ventures, some more successful than others. Uh, he has made investments in General Electric, Apple, and PepsiCo. He was also a minority owner of the Sacramento Kings until selling his stake in Ju- January of 2022. He joined Papa John's board of directors and opened nine stores in the Atlanta, Georgia area, becoming a spokesperson for the company in the process. The pizza chain currently offers the Shakaroni Pizza, an extra large pizza with extra cheese and extra pepperoni cut into large foldable slices. There, there is a, I'm, I'm in the online trivia league. And they do the seasons. The seasons go like, I think about them three weeks of a year where you're competing against people in a certain group. Mm-hmm. Outside of the seasons, they have one day special quizzes that are just like on different topics, like a Chicago images quiz or a quiz about the Caucasus mountains, things that are very specific, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is one quiz that came up earlier this year called Shaq endorses this one day special. And it was <laughs> all about the things that he has pitched or endorsed. Whoa. he's uh... Because there's that many. Yeah. I remember, I think it, I think it was in college when uh, the general insurance started popping up, <laughs> and like he was obviously like superimposed into this like computer generated <laughs> car, and he's yeah. just like standing in the car it <laughs> as was... it like drives into the computer generated sunset with the general. <laughs> oh god, it was so ridiculous! But Shaq has all of this money now. <laughs> I mean. Shaq continued to play professionally until 2011, playing for the Miami Heat, Phoenix Suns, Cleveland Cavaliers, and Boston Celtics along the way. A series of injuries led to his retirement, which he announced on Twitter before the dark Twitter times. Um, <laughs> which I'm going to say this real quick. I was listening to another episode that we that we did earlier this year, and there was a portion of that episode where we were talking with Alex Blanchett about how the Twitter deal fell through with Elon Musk. Oh. And it's like a solid minute of us going, thank God that didn't happen. Oh. <laughs> and then it and then then he reneged. He continues working today as a commentator for Inside the NBA, presented by Kia, alongside Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith, and Charles Barkley. Fantastic show. They've they've won multiple Emmys. Yeah. Shaq did the uh, the one chip challenge. Oh, I think I that's popped up in my YouTube feed as well. Oh yeah, because he's bragging about it. like and Shaq he had this he has a bad habit sometimes of not being able to admit when he's wrong or beaten. But this he had to because he he bet Charles Barkley that he wouldn't take any a drink of anything. He wouldn't even like he wouldn't he wouldn't admit it was hot. And yeah, it was like a twenty dollar bet, and he lost hilariously. All right, I'm gonna always have to watch. I'm gonna have to take a look at that. I I did. I think that is one of the things that Charles Barkley said. That's like Shaq is very sensitive. <laughs> yes, they always say that. Shaq Fu is a fighting game developed for the Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo, Game Gear, and Game Boy, released on October twenty eighth, nineteen ninety four. The game chronicles Shaquille O'Neal fighting various characters from another dimension. As Shaq is en route to a charity basketball game in Tokyo, he stumbles into a small shop. There, a martial arts master named Loetsu asks Shaq to travel to the mysterious Second World. That's that's its proper name, Second World. Both of those words are capitalized. A dimension parallel to our own to save a young boy named Nezu from the evil mummy Set-Ra. Yeah, that seems parallel. (laughs) (laughs) The early 90s were rife with licensed sports tie-in games. Chances are, if an athlete was marketable, there was a licensed video game with their name on it. Notable examples include Magic Johnson's Fast Break, which has an awesome soundtrack, by the way. Jordan vs. Bird, one-on-one. Barkley, Shut Up and Jam. Classic. Slam City with Scottie Pippen, which 
is a Sega CD FMV game, and it has this like really weird scene with a bunch of white boys trying to dance, and then it like pans over to Scottie Pippen, and he's just like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> The semi-futuristic Bill Lambeer's Combat Basketball and Michael Jordan, Chaos in the Windy City, all of which play fast and loose with the core concept of basketball. <laughs> Chaos in the Windy City. That that one's not actually a basketball game. It's more like a an action platformer. I remember when I was growing up, we would always see that in family video when we would go there on Fridays. And it's for the record, Meredith, I, I always wanted to play it. The cover art has this like really cool shot of Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan in the 90s, but he had two basketballs. One was on fire and one was like iced. So like I was like, man, this is this game where you can play as Michael Jordan and you can like shoot fireballs and ice balls. And there's probably like puzzles you can play. No, no, that that is not a good game. No. And it was it was wild because that was at a point in time where Mike wasn't putting his image on anything. Like he yeah. wasn't in NBA Jam, he wasn't no, he in wasn't. NBA Hang Time. There were all these games where he would be. There would be like on the Bulls, there would be like a player uh, ninety nine or twenty three that was just like stats all the way up, and you're like, <laughs> oh, okay, this is this is Jordan, okay. but it's not Jordan, you know. <laughs> EA's initial idea was to pitch one of these traditional licensed games to Shaq. However, Don Traeger, the producer in charge of the project, noted after reading an interview that Shaq loved crime and martial arts movies. They came up with the idea of pitching a fantasy-based fighting game featuring Shaq as the main character. If Shaq didn't bite, they'd just fall back on the traditional basketball game. However, Shaq loved the concept and immediately gave his approval. It was supposedly originally developed under the title Shaq Attack, attack spelled with a Q at the end. <laughs> Until Shaq made a last-minute call to change the name to correspond with an upcoming rap album. Smart business. Electronic Arts, the game's publisher, which is really another red flag that we should add to the pile. EA is not a great company, <laughs> which we can talk about later. But Electronic Arts, the game's publisher, approached Paris-based Delphine Software to produce the game. Delphine's other games heavily focused on rotoscoped animation in lush fantasy worlds, so EA thought they'd be a good fit. However, it's worth noting that Delphine's other body of work, while graphically impressive, were slower-paced adventure games. For those of you who don't know, rotoscoping, and I don't want to get too deep into it, but rotoscoping is a method of animation where what you do is you film somebody actually doing something and then animate over that. Uh, so you get like really lifelike movements. Yeah. Was that movie uh, Waking Life? I th maybe. I remember. I oh, I remember that movie. Yeah. It's that they same kind of thing, but uh, it's kind of also what they did with uh, Mortal Kombat. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of Mortal Kombat, that might come up a little bit. The gameplay for Shaq Fu is fairly standard fare as far as fighting games go. Two fighters attack each other until either someone takes enough damage or the timer runs out, with matches being the best two out of three rounds. The game separates itself with its comeback mechanic, the Fury Meter. As a fighter gradually takes damage, their Fury Meter builds. When the Fury Meter is full, the fighter temporarily enters a Fury state, which strengthens attacks dealt to other fighters. The meter gradually decreases if the fighter does not take any damage. Uh, additionally, the game features a secret code which unlocks blood effects and finishing moves similar to Mortal Kombat. The Sega Genesis version of the game contains 12 playable characters, while the Super Nintendo version cut the roster to 7. It's clear that Delphine Software focused on the Sega Genesis version and rushed the Super Nintendo version likely to meet EA's deadlines. The, these characters include Shaq. I don't think we need to go into who Shaq is at this point. <laughs> Peori, a cat girl. Set Ra, the game's main villain. A mummy with, like, weird football shoulder pads. Uh, <laughs> Colonel, a cybernetic soldier. Diesel, I don't know, he's got this weird biker thing going on. He's th he throws knives. Orok, a weird pig man who can teleport for some reason. All right. Voodoo, a voodoo priestess whose special attacks include stabbing a voodoo doll. That's the thing, is she just, like, pulls out a doll, stabs it, and then your character takes damage. Oh, damn. Mephis, an undead fighter. Totally not Skeletor. Don't even think about him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Nezu, the boy Shaq is supposed to save from Set Ra, who can apparently fight and hold his own. <laughs> Raja, a sword-fighting prince with an Arabian motif. Beast, this weird mutant dude. Chris, think Cinder and Glacius from Killer Instinct. Okay. And old man, Luetsu, the man who sends Shaq on his quest in the first place. Okay. Shaq Fu, while initially met with only mixed reviews, has since been regarded as one of the worst games ever made. Oh, man. While the game is well animated and fun to look at, gameplay mechanics seem to have taken a backseat to visual pleasures. Oh, from no. From YouTuber Matt McMuscles and his video essay, Shaq Fu, The Worst Fighting Game, while their animation was indeed impressive, they might not have been the best choice for a fighting game, which re- requires responsive controls and fast gameplay. Delphine Software never really recovered. They produced a few more generic racing ca- games before declaring bankruptcy and closing in 2002. The it's website... Tough. What's up? No, I was just saying, ugh, it's tough. Yeah. The website shackfu.com directs you to an organization called the Shackfu Liberation Front, which seeks to procure and destroy every <laughs> physical copy of Shackfu. The oh, website no. the website has not been updated since 2008. But someone's still paying every year to have it up there. Mm-hmm. The mission that's, goes on. It's so weird. Someone's got an automatic renewal on their credit card and they just haven't. Before I read this next paragraph, I just want to say that I did not write this paragraph before certain events very recently happened. Okay. History might have forgotten Shaq Fu were it not for Big D's Productions, who started an Indiegogo campaign to create a sequel, Shaq Fu, A Legend Reborn. The format switches from a one-on-one fighting game to a side-scrolling beat-em-up like Final Fight. The game was released on June 5th, 2018 to generally negative reviews. I've played maybe two minutes of this game. That's about as much as I could (laughs) withstand. Let's just say that uh, racial sensitivity is not one of this game's strong points. Makes sense. Despite the negative reviews, the game features a a downloadable campaign called Barakfu, The Adventures of Dirty Barry. Whoa. where the player assumes the role of a fictional Dirty Harry-esque former United States President Barack Obama as he fights through France and outer space to confront a fictionalized Kanye West. Oh my god. (laughs) So, sources for this episode are various Wikipedia entries, specifically for (laughs) Shaquille O'Neal, Shaq Fu, and Shaq Fu Legend Reborn. And uh, I've also, like I said, I also mentioned Matt McMuscle's Shaq Fu, The Worst Fighting Game. I will put a link in the description of this episode. Uh, it's a it's a good time. That is the story of Shaq Fu. So but did uh, Barack Obama defeat Kanye West? Well, I, I guess cert- depends I, if you're playing the game and you win yeah. or lose, I guess. Yeah. Oh man. Ugh. Woo. So that was so, a bit uh, of a wreck. Shaq, the funny thing was like, he wasn't really a martial arts person. So this wasn't just like a, let's make a Shaquille O'Neal fighting game. Mm-hmm. This hip hop group, Fushnickens, had gotten airplay in the late 80s, early 90s, mm-hmm. and then kind of, you know, fell off the map a bit. But when Shaq was a rookie, or I think he was maybe his second year, he was, you know, he exploded on the scene. He was this big, huge, goofy dude who had the Shaq, the Shaq Gnosis sneakers that have the like black and white kind of spiral on them. Mm-hmm. Those were like, those are the, some of the most iconic shoes ever. And so he had all of this stuff. And then he did an interview and said, it was like, yo, Fush, uh, you know, Fushnickens is one of my favorite groups. And their names were all something foo, chip foo and mock foo. So they were, he was like, they reached out to him about doing a song together. And so he naturally became Shaq Fu and oh, then right. put this game out. Okay. That makes yeah. sense. I didn't know that was the case. All, yeah. all of my extensive research, I didn't. <laughs> That that like that's nice. You didn't run into Fushnickens. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, when when Fushnickens puts out a fighting game, maybe we'll. You know, I'm I'm surprised. Well, I was gonna say I'm surprised that that hasn't happened, but I forgot about the iconic Def Jam fight for New York, which is I'm oh. I'm being serious. It is yeah, it is legitimately iconic. 
Yeah, I should I should look into that. There's a guy I watch on YouTube who primarily focuses on fighting games, and uh, he had a, a playthrough of the game because that game has like a fairly extensive story mode, and a lot of big name hip hop artists actually came on and provided their voices. I know Snoop Dogg is in there at least. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's we. It would take a long time to go through everybody who's on it, but yeah, there's uh, like there's so many people in that game. Henry Rollins is in that game. What? <laughs> well, I mean, he's, he, he's, Henry Rollins is like that dude that everybody knows. It's like how there's a list of, in terms of, I'm telling you a secret, there's a list of, <laughs> of, of white people who are on the list of like untouchable in the black community. They're like, yo, no, nobody talks shit about these guys unless they no. do something first. Tony Hawk is on that list. Awesome. Uh, oh, interesting. But I'm, I'm fairly sure Henry Rollins is on that list, especially if you're in music. They're like, no, nah, he's cool. No, nah, he's, he's all good. <laughs> nobody talks to Henry Rollins. Nobody. Well, uh, let's go ahead and start wrapping things up. Chris, uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. I hope you had a good time. Always. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug before we sign off? Um, well, I've got a game coming out, actually. It's oh. called Spider Food. <laughs> Where you are an insect, actually you are an, you are an anthropomorphic spider, and you are fighting your way through a garden against the, uh, the there's there's a group of there's a group of ant colonies oh. that you have to fight through, and then you have to fight the the queen ant at the end and take control of the garden. You're aided by a bee that has nothing to do with Barry B. Benson from B Movie, but they just <laughs> look somewhat similar. I gotcha. <laughs> is he like player two, or is he like? He, he's a non-player character. You know, okay, he so he, he's like he's like Navi from from Zelda. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He comes. He'll help you from time to time. Um, he can he can swoop in sometimes and assist you like um, Aku Aku from Crash Bandicoot. Okay. So I got, often, but yeah, I got you. It's still, it's still in development. Still in development. All right. You know. I think that might might actually sell pretty well. Let me let me know if you need some mocap. I got you. <laughs> I got you. No. Um. Always listen to uh, the Skyhook podcast. Me and my guy James K. Fantastic fantastic writer, fantastic person. Uh, it's the WNBA offseason, but there's obviously always news, big news, because James, one, James is covering college, so you mm -hmm. get to hear about the upcoming, uh, this is going to be a really good draft for the WNBA, so you get to hear about the college, uh, the stars of today, and then the professional stars of tomorrow. Uh, we are, we might shelve the episode we just did with the news that Brittany Griner was released from um, a Russian penal colony, so we want to, we definitely want to talk about that uh, Candace yeah. Parker might be coming back to the Chicago sky we're always talking about that uh, and then I've got the at bat podcast that's hosted by Saul Rodriguez for war media and uh, that's all baseball stuff so uh, Dean we got news of interest to you Saul said goodbye to longtime Cubs catcher Wilson Contreras who just signed that deal with the Cardinals Ooh. and of course always news when a Cubs player goes to the Cardinals or vice versa oh so yeah Cubs oh, fans yeah. are mad salty <laughs> I'm already seeing that um, on one of my other guys' uh, <laughs> Facebook pages for his for his group, mm -hmm. Cubs fans are extra salty about this. <laughs> um. For those of you who don't know, I don't think we've really talked about it on the podcast before, but uh, the town I grew up in, Peoria, Illinois, it's it's about, it's more or less exactly between Chicago and St. Louis, so you can kind of stir the pot and you don't know if a Cubs fan or a Cardinals fan is going gonna, is gonna to pop up. Uh, I guess I grew up on the Cardinals side, and then I moved to Chicago, and then Cub fans were terrible on the train. So then that's I, my I, story. That's why I, be I became a Sox fan. Well, that's that's why I became a de facto Sox fan as well. Anyway, Dean, Dean is downplaying this. When I like, we talked about all of these things, and then I mentioned baseball, and Dean was like, "Fuck the Cubs," and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> what is?" Well, I was, I was, a, I'm a Sox fan and Hayes and the Cubs, and I was shocked. I was like, <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> I, I learned, a, I learned a bunch of Cubs jokes from my dad. Let's see. What, yeah, what, Eldon what Beaver it? is on Twitter just for baseball stats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, what was one of them? Why don't the Cubs have a website? <sighs> I know this. Oh, one. they can't string three W's together. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. What's another one? Uh, what did Jesus say to the Cubs before he died? Don't do anything till I get back. Uh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> How do the Cubs spell win? W-H-E-N. Oh, that's <laughs> anyway. good. That's a that's like a that's like a regional pronunciation joke. I like that. Yeah. 
<laughs> so so again chris thank you so much um meredith you've had some some pretty big developments since we uh last recorded uh what's um, what, what would you like to plug yeah i have a book coming out um in september of 2023 called ghost tamer pre-order links are already available on the publisher's website not yet available through amazon because that goes through our distributor but you can pre-order it now and yeah that's my big news i'm doing nothing but promoting i just turned my final edits in so arcs will be coming soon which is exciting awesome are you going to do a tour are you going to do a but you know actually i should i should talk to you about i should i've been meaning to bring back my podcast where i talk to people about what they do and why they like it so we should we should talk about that i would love to and yes i am going to take myself on tour definitely going to do a signing in chicago for sure because the book takes place in chicago in the winter Mm. um i was like i hated the winter in chicago but there's something really nice and gritty about writing about how miserable it was (laughs) um the main character is an aspiring comedian she's riding the train home from an open mic with her friend and the train flies off the rails killing everyone in the first car except for her and then suddenly she can see ghosts um, one of them who says he's been with her her whole life but she just never saw him and another one who suddenly starts coming after her now that she can see ghosts who's trying to destroy her soul so she tries to get help from some ghost hunters she ends up talking to like a psychic who's from New Orleans. She's Cajun. She's one of my favorite characters. Um, of course. So yeah, it's way fun. But yes, I'm definitely going to be, I'm probably going to do my launch in Nashville, but I'm definitely going to be going to Chicago and probably some of the other Thriller Fest, definitely going there in New York and probably Butchercon, which actually that'll be in Nashville that year. So that'll be great. Sweet. Nice. So yeah, that being said, there's a number of ways to get a hold of us. You can find us on Twitter, or what remains of Twitter, um, at StageVGH. We also have a Gmail account that you can reach out to us at OpeningStageVGH at gmail.com. But yeah, please feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. But that being said, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, This has been Opening Stage VGH, the video game history podcast for everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Have a good one. Bye. Woohoo!